So we're looking at the subject of prayer in our time together in our workshop. Uh, we have six sessions together. Tonight, this, today what we're going to be primarily doing is kind of laying the groundwork. Tomorrow we're going to get into some more of the nuts and bolts uh, of things that we can do to make our, pr- our prayer life more practical. We're going to look at some biblical principles on how we can actually do that. Uh, but before we begin, our subject this morning is... Uh, hindrances in prayer or what's hindering you, uh, before we begin, I think it would be appropriate for us to bow our heads and before we pray, I'm getting, sorry? I am recording, yes. I'm good. David's right on there. Thank you, man. Okay, so we're all ready to go. Why don't we bow our heads and we'll start with a word of prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you that we can assemble ourselves together here this morning at AOY to learn from you the beauty of prayer. And Father, the room is full here. might be a little warm and uncomfortable being so close together, but I pray that you would give us focus as we hear your word, as we listen to the practical advice that it gives to us. Father, we want our prayer life to grow exponentially. We want to be known as sons and daughters of prayer that move the hand of God in our prayer closet. So, Father, I pray that you would come and that you would speak to us, that you would open my mouth and speak through it the words that need to be heard this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great Adventist missionary by the name of Eric B. Hare. How many of you heard of Eric B. Hare? Wow, only a few of you. He was a great missionary um, back in the middle of the 1900s time, somewhere around in there. But he, he tells this wonderful story about a man by the name of Rangoso who was a convert to Christianity during the time of mission work in the Solomon Islands. Eric Behar wasn't the missionary, he just heard the story. And the story goes something like this. It was during the time of World War II, Rangoso was one of the few Adventist locals who had been converted to Christianity. The the missionaries were chased off of the islands because of the enemy and various things that were going on. And so the responsibility of taking care of the small church there on the Solomon Islands was given to Rangoso. Rangoso worked very closely with the allies to keep the enemies away from taking over the islands. And one day, one of the generals that he was working with came to him and another uh, young man and said, listen, there's a shipment of supplies that are coming in this coming Saturday, and I need your help and your help to unload the ship and get all of the supplies onto the island. Well, Rangoso was a Seventh-day Adventist. And as you know, Seventh-day Adventists don't work on the Sabbath. And so Rangoso said to the general, we would be happy to help you after sunset. But before sunset, this is our day of rest, and we do not work on the Sabbath. The general, as you can only imagine, got a little upset and started threatening Rangoso and his friend But they were unmoved. They had moral courage, as we talked about yesterday morning. And they insisted, we would be happy to help you 
after sunset on Saturday night. Well, the general got very upset. He took his revolver out of its holster and turned it around and held the barrel and hit Rangoso right in the face. Hit him again, hit him again, broke his nose, knocked him out. And when Rangoso came back, when he woke up from this mistreatment or this abuse, the general commanded for him to be bound and taken off into prison that they were going to execute him by a firing squad. Both of them were bound and they were taken to the prison camp. They were tied to a post. The firing squad assembled themselves together. They got their rifles and they pointed them at Rangoso and his friend. The general said, when I count to three, fire. And so it was, you could feel the tension in the air. They were waiting for the sound. There was silence. These two men of God who stood for the truth were there. The firing squad was looking down the barrels of their shotguns, waiting for the sound of number three to pull the trigger. And the general said, one, two, he couldn't say three. He was a little flustered and he, and he kind of regained himself and he said, okay, on the count of three, pull the trigger. One, two, he couldn't get it. He physically could not speak the word. He was frustrated and he told them to take them off the prison. In fact, the story goes that the general lost the ability to speak for two weeks. Isn't that neat? God can give donkeys the ability to speak and he can take away from humans <laughs> the ability to speak. And so Rangoso and his friend, they were taken off to prison. Now all the Adventists on the island, there were about 300 of them, they heard about their, their trusted leader that they loved so much and he's there in prison. And so they decided in the simplicity of their mind that they would pray that God would deliver Rangoso and his friend. And so they had this sophisticated way of communication through these big drums. And they would get up on the top of the mountain and they would beat out some type of Morris code on the drum, passing along the message from mountaintop to mountaintop. And the Adventists got on their drums and they started beating out this message that on a specific day, at a specific time, that all the Adventists were to pray for Rangoso and his friend. And so the day came, and the 300 Adventists on the island, they assembled themselves in their little huts in various places across the Solomon Islands, and they began to pour out their hearts in unity that God would release their trusted leader, Rangoso, and his friend. And they poured their hearts out to God in prayer. That night, at 10 o'clock, the prison gates were opened, and a tall man walked into the prison camp. He pointed at Rangoso and his friend, and he said, come with me. Rangoso and his friend got up, and they followed the man out of the prison, through the gates, down to the water's edge, where there was a canoe with two paddles sitting in the water. The man turned to Rangoso and his friend, and he said, get into the boat, and paddle to your home. They looked at the canoe, and they looked back at the man, and he was gone. Rangoso and his friend got into their little canoe, paddled away from the island, and they went back to continue their work and their labor for God 
in the Solomon Islands. Eric B. Hare, who tells the story, asked Rangoso a question. And the question he asked him was this, who let you out of prison that night? Without hesitation, Rangoso replies and he says, an angel, the same angel that took Peter out of his prison. Isn't that a powerful story? I read that for the first time and, 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 and my, my stomach was just kind of queasy with excitement that things like this are happening in different parts of the world. That God is using simple people with simple understandings of God's word to pray powerful prayers that move the arm of omnipotence. But as I, asked, as, I, as I read this story and as I thought about it, I couldn't help but ask myself the question, why don't we see this type of answers to our prayers? Right? You know, we read about these stories all the time, right? You know, you get incredible answers to prayer by Roger Morneau. And you can, uh, there's a book by uh, uh, Glenn Kuhn about uh, foolish prayers and, and fabulous answers. And there's all of these great books that you can read about people who prayed and God do, does miraculous things for them. But we read about these experiences, but we don't experience them ourselves. So this got me asking myself the question, why don't we experience these types of answers to prayer ourselves? Well, before I actually get into answering that question, let me first emphatically state, as we've already seen in the story, that God does answer prayer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me give you a couple of promises just to kind of start this off here so we know where we're all at on the same page. Matthew 7, 7, these are promises we know. Ask and it shall be what? Given unto you. What did the people on the Solomon Islands ask for? Deliverance. And they had simple faith and trust that God would answer their prayer. So they asked, and God gave it to them. Wonderful, wonderful promise. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when you pray, what? Believe. believe that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. Simple promises. They believed that their God was so powerful that he could release Rangoso from prison. They believed that. God answered their prayers. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, what does it say? Now tomorrow, we're going to talk briefly about what it means to ask in his name. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means tomorrow. But simply put, the promise is, if we ask God will do it. One more promise. John 15 and verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it will be what? Done unto you. If we're abiding in Christ, the promise is we can ask and the Bible tells us that we will receive. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three hindrances to our prayer life. This is nothing new, nothing revolutionary. We're going back to the ABCs of prayer. The simplicity of the Bible is going to speak to us this morning. So three objections, not objections, but three obstacles in our prayer life, three hindrances in our prayer life. So for hindrance number one, what I want to go, what I want to do is I want to go to Isaiah chapter 59, and we're going to look at verses one and two. Isaiah chapter 59 
We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Now, unfortunately, this first hindrance is probably the greatest hindrance in our life, and it's probably the one that we are the most familiar with, unfortunately. Something that is very awful in the eyes of God. It is a terrible thing that any of us would be as well acquainted with this one hindrance as we are, unfortunately. So Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that what? He cannot hear. So can God hear our prayers, yes or no? Yes. So listen to me. The problem is not on the up end, right? God can hear what's going up. The problem is on the receiving end, coming down to us. The Bible says his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. So what we've established is there's no problem with it going up. God can hear it. But the problem is when it comes back down. But there's one thing that keeps God from hearing our prayers, and that's in the next verse. Verse 2, it says this, But your iniquities have separated between me and, and your God, between you and your God, sorry, and your sins, your what? Sins. sins have hid his face from you that he will not, what? Hear. Very simply put, the first and greatest hindrance in God hearing and answering our prayer is sin. Scripture says this in Psalm 66 and verse 18, If I regard or if I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So the first and greatest hindrance are the sins that I cherish and hold on to in my life. If I have willing and known sin in my life, God will not and cannot hear and answer your prayers. The only prayer that he will hear at that time is a prayer of forgiveness or, ask, or a prayer of confession, confessing that prayer to God and asking for forgiveness. D.L. Moody was a great man of prayer. And he makes this interesting statement in his book, Prevailing Prayer. He says this, If we are regarding iniquity in our hearts, cherishing iniquity in our hearts, or living in a mere empty profession, we have no claim to expect that our prayers will be answered. We have how much of a claim? None. No claim. There is not one solitary promise for us. There is no promise for us if we cherish sin in our lives. He goes on. I sometimes tremble when I hear people quote promises and say that God is bound to fulfill those promises to them. When all the time there is something in their own lives which they are not willing to give up. He concludes by saying this. It is well for us to search our hearts to find out why it is that our prayers are not answered. Have you ever done that before? Prayed a prayer, it's not answered. The typical human response is this, prayer doesn't work. That's the typical human response. The advice that we're hearing from this godly man is this, we need to go back and evaluate something in our lives is keeping God from hearing my prayer and answering it. 
Or maybe I'm just not willing to accept God's answer to that prayer. But simply put, iniquity as it's regarded in our hearts or held onto in our hearts, it keeps us from being able to have open communication with our Heavenly Father. You know, last night, Randy Skeet talked about the high cost of salvation, that God gave so much in the purchase of man's salvation, that he had to give to create the world, but he had to give everything to redeem one of God's children from sin. And it's unfortunate that with such a high price that's been paid to wash away our sins, that we are so familiar with sin in our lives. And so I want to challenge you to think about some ways that you can overcome sin in your life. And I'm just going to give you three quick things here uh, this morning to think about when it comes to overcoming sin. The first thing is this. When it comes to sin in our lives, just being practical, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, just jot it down, tells us that we must choose this day whom we are going to serve. We must what? Choose. So when temptation comes, we have to make a choice. We have to choose, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve the devil? Now, ultimately, those of you that are here, we want to choose to follow God. So we make the choice and we say, God, I'm going to choose to follow you. This temptation's here, but I'm going to resist it. I'm going to have moral courage and I'm going to stand for what's right and I'm going to make the right choice. Once we make that right choice... Then we claim 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, which says, Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So once we choose to follow God, then we thank God by faith that He is giving us the gift of victory. Would you say amen? amen. Victory doesn't come from within me. Victory comes from above. So I can't overcome sin in my life unless I claim this promise of God giving me the gift of victory. Once I claim that gift of victory, then I, 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 am, I, I consider myself to be dead to the sin or the temptation that comes. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, the Bible tells us that we are to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, oftentimes we get it reversed, right? 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 Oftentimes we get it reversed and, 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 and we're alive to sin. Oh, this is so much fun. But when God comes and he speaks to us at AOI, oh, you really want me to give that up? You really don't want me to do that anymore? These three promises or these three Bible texts have helped me so much in my spiritual journey that I've put it together in a little phrase that helps me think about victory in my life. The phrase goes like this. No, what is it? No, thank you God for the victory. What is it? I am dead to it. What is it? Okay, so no, I'm choosing. Number two, I'm thanking God for the gift of victory, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. And then I'm considering myself to be dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. So what is the phrase again? Number one? Number two? Number three? Now oftentimes when the devil comes to us with temptation, we say no just like you said no to me. Very lifelessly. With a weak and, 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 and vacillating voice, no! 
I can't do this anymore. But when the devil comes to us with temptation, we need to have authority and boldness upon the word of God, claiming that promise that we are choosing to follow him. And so the devil comes and we say, no, no. thank you, God, for the victory. I am dead to it. Let's say it together. Number one, no. Number two, thank you, God, for the victory. Number three, I'm dead to it. Let's do it again. Number one, no. Number two, thank you, God, for the victory. Number three. I'm dead to it. These three promises in the Bible have helped me so much in resisting sin in my life so that God can hear the utterance of my prayer. It is removing that hindrance. It's removing that roadblock that keeps God from hearing my prayers and answering them. Because ultimately, that's what we want. That's what prayer is about. We're wanting to communicate with God and we're wanting His will to become our will and, and following that will in our lives. So let's look at our second hindrance. We looked at the first one, the greatest of all hindrances that we are unfortunately so familiar with. The second hindrance that I want to talk a little bit about this morning is one that requires a little humility on our part. What does it require? Humility. Now, some of us don't like to humble ourselves. <laughs> But this requires a little humility. The second hindrance is an unforgiving spirit. What is it? It is an unforgiving spirit. That means somebody wrongs you and you don't want to forgive them. That second hindrance is a big one in our church. We can go to church, rub shoulders with each other, smile and say, happy Sabbath, brother, happy Sabbath, sister. We hold resentment in our hearts because of something that happened two, three, four, five, six, ten years ago. Give it up. There's no sense in holding on to it. The cost of holding on to that unforgiving spirit is God not hearing our prayers. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also do what? Forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father what? Forgive you your trespasses. Now let me ask you a question. When we ask the Father to forgive us, what do we call that? It's not a trick question. When I say, God, please forgive me of my sins, what do I call that? Repentance, it's prayer. It happens in our prayer. Repentance and sorrow for our sin happens in our prayer. So what Jesus is telling us here is this. If I don't forgive you, if you've wronged me, God is not going to hear my prayer asking for forgiveness for my sin. So they all kind of build on each other here. If I hold an unforgiving spirit, animosity towards other people, God, the Bible tells us, will not be able to hear our prayers. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if thou uh, bring thy gift to the altar, that is a sacrifice, or come to, in prayer, uh, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, what does it say? Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way, what? First and be what? Reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. 
This is a spiritual principle here in the Bible that the Bible is telling us, listen, if you come to me in prayer and you remember that you have ought against somebody else, you need to go and reconcile that thing with that individual, then come back into the prayer chamber with God and he will hear and accept our offering to him. So I want you to think, do you have anybody in your life that you might be holding resentment towards? Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a colleague, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your pastor or your youth leader or another young person in the church or another adult in the church. Is there some type of resentment that you are holding on to that could keep God from hearing your prayers of confession for your sins? For several years, I held resentment against my father because he left my mother when I was one and never paid much money to help support the family. We lived hand to mouth for years, my mother, my sister, and I. And when I got to my teenage years, I literally hated my father. It was the only person that I could honestly say I hated because of what he had done. But when the Lord got a hold of me, through the study of his word and through his providential leadings in a week of prayer at my high school. When I surrendered my heart to the Lord, God said, Jason, you know that resentment that you hold towards your father? That's a roadblock. That's a hindrance. You need to give it up. And I told the Lord, I said, Father, I hate my dad. But if you can take it away, I'm willing. And I can honestly say with my whole heart, before God this morning that I love my Father and I want to see Him in the kingdom of heaven. God can transform your life. And you can actually find that maybe somebody that you detest and hate now, because if you don't love them, you hate them. Remember, Pastor Skeet said, we are commanded to love one another. If we don't love each other, we hate them. God can actually change our hearts so much so that one that we hate can become one that we love or want to see in the kingdom of heaven, maybe even becoming our best friend. That's the power of God working transformation in our lives. Peter came to Jesus and asked, asked the question in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. We're familiar with this. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? He felt pretty righteous by saying, hey, I could forgive somebody seven times. And then Jesus says, oh, wait, wait a second here. Jesus says this. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but unto now, 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 the emphasis is not on 70 times 7, which you know is 490. If you're a good Seventh-day Adventist, you know that from the study of Daniel chapter 7 and 8 and 9. Um, but 490 times is not the point. Jesus is simply saying, forgive as much as it takes. As many times as that individual wrongs you, forgive them. And when you think about it in the context of God's forgiveness towards us, he's just telling us, do to others what I do to you. How many of you are glad that God forgives you time and time again? Amen? I know I'm thankful for that because I'm so often I fall into those ruts and I go back to the vomit of sin in my life. 
and I have to come back to God in confession and forsaking of that sin. And he is willing to accept me and he separates my sin as far as the east is from the west. Psalms chapter 113 tells us that or Psalms 106. He separates it as far as the east is from the west. There is no place where east and west meets. In the eyes of God, our sin, when we confess it, it's not there any longer. And God is telling us, do thou likewise to your fellow brothers and sisters. If you can't get along here, you're not going to get along up there. If you can't forgive men here and love them here, you're not going to do it there. This is our preparation time. And this is another hindrance that we can, by God's grace, remove through the power of God's word. This is what inspiration tells us. Review and Herald, April 15 of 1880. It says this. One great reason why our brethren and sisters have no more confidence towards God in prayer is that nearly all neglect to follow the words of Jesus in persevering or preserving harmony between the brethren. What is one of the great reasons why there's no more confidence in God in prayer? Because we're not forgiving. We're not preserving harmony among the brethren. She goes on. They allow various wrongs to exist with members of the church, which create bitter envy and strife. And while these differences exist, God neither hears nor answers their prayers. And darkness comes over the mind. That's what you have to look forward to if you hold resentment and unforgiveness in your heart. Darkness comes into the mind. Darkness comes into the mind. Fearful thing for us to hold on to these various wrongs. She goes on. Unless those who come together in church capacity shall observe the rule of Christ, which, rules of Christ which are given to them in his word, there can be no such thing as spiritual strength and harmony or prosperity in the church, but what? Disaster and ruin will be the what? We don't want that. Right? We don't want that. We want God to forgive our sins. We want God to hear our prayers. We want God to listen to our communication to him. We want to have that open line of communication. So Jesus says, go and forgive your brothers. Go and forgive your sisters. Now, I want this to be a practical session. So I sincerely want you to think a little bit here this morning. Is there somebody that you are holding resentment towards? You're taking notes. Jot that person's name down. And as soon as you have the ability, go and reconcile with them. Maybe it's somebody here at AOY. If you don't reconcile with them after this session, God is going to keep blessings from coming in your life. Who is it that you need to reconcile with? so that you can open the floodgates of communication between you and your Heavenly Father. Let's look at the third hindrance. Hindrance number one is? Hindrance number two is? Hindrance number three is? Very good, very good. Okay, hindrance number three is in James chapter 4 and verse 3. The Bible says this. Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. You know, it's interesting to me that in the time of James, 
they had problem with God, problems with God answering their prayers. This is a problem that's been going on for over 2,000 years. He says, you ask and receive not. That is a miscommunication in prayer. Now remember, there's nothing wrong on the up end. The problem is on the wrong end or on the down end. So he says, you ask him this. Why? Because you consume it upon your lusts. Now, if you look at the uh, English Standard Version of this Bible passage, it simply says that you ask wrongly. You ask how? Wrongly. Now, the word lust in the Bible is not always defined in a sexual context. Oftentimes, that's the first thing we think of. But it's simply defined as a desire for that which is forbidden. A desire for that which is forbidden. And so Paul, or, uh, James here is telling us that uh, our prayers are not answered because we are asking wrongly or we are asking for something that God has forbidden. It's not according to God's will in our lives. Early writings says this, early writings, page 268. God cannot approve of the least degree of covetousness or selfishness, and he what? What does the word abhor mean? Huh? Not like, what else? Hates, what else? Dislike, what else? Detest. I heard somebody, who said detest? Very good. Detest, who else? What? Loafs. Anybody else? These are all good words. It's describing what God, how God feels towards selfishness. He abhors the prayers and the exhortations of those who indulge in these evil traits. What are the evil traits? Covetousness and selfishness. Those who hold to covetousness and selfishness, he abhors, he detests, he hates the prayers of those who, who hold on to these things. In the least degree, she says. In the least degree. So asking amiss is another reason why God does not hear and answer our prayers. I remember several years ago, this thought coming to me in my mind, because you know I've been working on this idea of wanting God to hear and answer my prayers. And asking amiss, because of selfishness and covetousness. And so I started analyzing my life and, and the prayer requests that I'm praying. And I started asking myself, why am I asking for this prayer request? What's my motivation? Now, on the surface, a lot of our prayer requests seem like they have good motivations to them. But when you get to the root and you're honest with yourself, you might find that the motivation is not so savory. And I'll give you an example in my own life. For several years, I worked as an evangelist. I traveled the United States doing Bible prophecy seminars. My desire was to see people come into the church and saved to the knowledge of the truth of the three angels' messages. And my prayers went something like this. Lord, please be with the people who are coming to my seminar. I'm praying that they will give you their hearts, embrace the truth, and become part of the remnant Seventh-day Adventist church. How many of you think that's a good prayer to pray? Fantastic prayer. That's what we, I mean, that's ultimately what we want. We want to see people embrace the three angels' messages and become part of the family of God. And I began to think about that prayer request, and I began to analyze it. And I looked at my heart, and I asked myself the question, why am I praying this prayer? Now, on the surface, yes, that's what I wanted. 
But as I probed my heart a little bit more, I found that there was selfishness in that request. And the selfishness in that request was, I wanted to have many people baptized so that I would look good when I submitted my report to the church, to the conference, to Amazing Facts. Oh, look at what Jason is doing. 10 people, 15 people, 25 people were baptized into his seminar. He's a wonderful evangelist. And deep down inside of my heart, I realized that there was a selfish motivation to what appeared to be a good prayer request. What does he say he, uh, God feels towards those kind of prayers? He what them? He abhors them. He detests them. He hates that hint of selfishness that's in our prayers. So we need to check our motivations. It might seem like a good prayer request on the surface, but as we're praying to God, we need to ask ourselves, where is the motivation in this prayer? Is it really coming from a sincere motivation for the betterment of myself, for the betterment of the kingdom of God, and for His glorification? Or is there a hint of selfishness that's in that prayer request? Spurgeon, one of the great preachers uh, during the time of... Uh, the 1800s. He was a contemporary with Ellen White. Uh, his, in his book, Prayer and the, in the Believer's Life, he made this statement. Selfishness cannot be trusted with power in prayer. Think about that. Selfishness cannot be trusted with power in prayer. Why is that? Because if I prayed and I have a selfish request, that selfish request, if it was answered, would only make me more selfish. So God cannot trust those kinds of prayers with power. You must get rid of selfishness before God can trust you with the keys of heaven. What what does the spirit of prophecy say? Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to what? Unlock heaven's storehouses. It's interesting that he's using this imagery. He says that God cannot trust you with the key of heaven if you have selfishness in your prayer. He goes on. But when self is dead, God will enable you to unlock his treasures and as a prince, or, yeah, as, as a prince, you shall have power with God and what? That's what we want. In our prayer time, in our prayer closet, we want to prevail with God. We want to have answers to our prayers. And so Spurgeon is giving us the same advice that the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy gives us, and that is remove what? Selfishness. Get rid of that asking amiss or asking wrongly. I heard a story about a Hindu man by the name of uh, Jairam who converted to Christianity. And um, one day he fell sick, got very sick, and was so sick, in fact, that he could not take care of the one buffalo that he owned. Now, you know, where he lived, the buffalo was a pretty important thing. You know, it was a means of livelihood, and, and, and you know, it was, it was important. And he couldn't take care of it. So his next-door neighbors decided that they would help him out by taking care of his buffalo for him. How many of you would like neighbors like that? Good neighbors. Well, they were taking care of J. Ram's buffalo for him. Now, just as he was getting, getting better... Um, he found out that his neighbors were unfortunately feeding his buffalo a poisonous gourd. And when J-Ram made a full recovery, his buffalo did not make a full recovery. He died. 
And JRAM was devastated. I mean, he's alive now and he doesn't have his buffalo, or he's, he's well now and his buffalo's dead. Now, he had a little bit of faith and he decided that he was going to go down and see the local Adventist at the, at the local school and ask him to come and anoint his buffalo. Have any of you heard this, this story before? <laughs> now, the local Hindus thought that JRAM's buffalo died because JRAM wasn't worshiping all of the Hindu gods. They said, ah, this is a curse from the Hindu gods that's killed your buffalo because you have turned away from them. And he said, no, if uh, my God that I serve is powerful enough that if he so chooses, he can raise my buffalo from the dead. And they laughed at him. So he went down to the local Adventist and said, please, can you come anoint my dead buffalo? Well, any uh, Adventist in their right mind would probably think, well, this is kind of a strange prayer request. But, um, you know, he didn't want to hurt the faith of this simple man. And so he, he said, reluctantly, he said, okay, let's go. So, so they walked down towards the buffalo, and, and he told J-Ram, he said, J-Ram, uh, I don't have any oil to anoint your buffalo. He said, no problem. He ran back to his house, and he got a little vial of rancid mustard seed oil. Rancid oil is bad enough. Must, rancid mustard seed oil is even worse. And he comes back and he says, here you go. And he hands them this little vial and they come to the buffalo and there's this big group of Hindus that are there waiting to see what's going to happen to J-Ram's buffalo. And so the Adventist comes and he stands next to this buffalo and he puts a little drop of oil on his finger and he lets it fall off his finger onto the neck of the buffalo and he prays some symbolic prayer and then goes through the Lord's Prayer, says amen, and the buffalo is still dead. J-Ram said, no, listen, he said, listen, uh, big, big faith requires uh, uh, lots of oil. And so he takes the vase of oil and he dumps it on the buffalo and he spreads it all over the buffalo's body with his hands. And he asks the missionary, can I pray? And the missionary says, sure, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to squelch the enthusiasm. And so J-Ram, he, he, he prays a simple prayer. He says, lifts up his hands to heaven, and he says, God, I am a sinner, and I am unworthy of your mercy, but I am praying today that for your name to be glorified. Would you please show all of my Hindu friends that you are a powerful God and that you can raise my dead buffalo to life? And then he said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The buffalo went, eyes open. It lifted up its head, rolled over on its side, stood up on its four legs, and trotted off to the cornfield to go eat. And every Hindu that was there was amazed at Jram's God and the power of prayer. Now, that prayer request could have been very selfish. Could it have not? Yeah, he, and this is his buffalo. This is his livelihood. But the motivation of Jram's prayer was not for him to get his means of livelihood back, but to vindicate the power of his God in the presence of these heathen people. And God chose to answer the prayer of that man and gave him back his means of livelihood. What a powerful story of how God is hearing and answering prayers in the lives of others. The Bible says this, Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. The Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and what? 
Lead me in the way everlasting. What's the first two words there? Search me. Pray. Ask God as you are praying. What is the motivation of this prayer request? God, show me in my open heart of hearts exactly what my motivation is. And if there's a hint of selfishness, ask God to remove that selfishness and get rid of that hindrance. So we have three hindrances to prayer. Number one is sin. Number two is unforgiveness. Number three is selfishness or asking amiss or asking wrongly. Now, what I was going to do, we're out of time, and I won't, I won't do this now, but what I was going to do is I was going to have a time. Oh, we have a little bit of time? Okay. So what I want to do is I want to take, how much time do we have? Oh, another 10 minutes. Okay. What I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time, since this is a prayer workshop, and I, wanted, I want you to just kind of spend a few moments in prayer. We've looked at three hindrances in your prayer life, or in our prayer lives, You've got them in your notes. You've reviewed them. You know them in your heads now. And I want you to just go through each one of those hindrances. And I want you to pray this prayer of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And just work through. We're going to just spend a couple of minutes on this. I want it to be practical as we're learning the art of prayer and breaking down these barriers between us and God. So just take a few moments, just pray silently in your mind so that other people don't have to know what's going on. And then take some time in between each one of the hindrances to pause and listen to God speak to you in the stillness of your, uh, stillness of your thoughts. So go ahead and do that now. Let's take a couple minutes to pray, and then we'll have a closing prayer. Father in heaven, we've just taken a couple of moments to open our hearts up to you in prayer. And we're asking you, Lord, to search our hearts to show us these hindrances that, 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 that block us from hearing your voice speaking to us. Father, please show us the sins in our lives. Show us the, uh, the, the, the unforgiveness that we have towards others, any resentment that we hold in our hearts. And, and Lord, I pray that you will also show us the selfish motivations sometimes where we ask amiss in our prayer life. And Father, I pray that we will be honest with ourselves in our prayer time and that we will allow you to do spiritual heart surgery in our lives so that our prayers can ascend to you as a fragrant incense to the throne of God. Oh Lord, we come to your throne with boldness asking for this prayer, and we know that you hear and answer it because we are praying it according to your will. So Lord, bless us, I pray, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.